Um, we started two weeks ago this Maranatha series talking about Israel, and uh, we've you know, we've been talking about Israel a little bit more lately. It's been in the news, and it's in the Bible, so we should probably talk about it more. And so uh, Robert did a great job kind of kicking us off in this Maranatha series. And then we had Joe here last week, and so that was fun, totally off from the Maranatha series. But here we are back into it, and uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into a topic that's um, kind of has stigma two different ways, and I'm hoping we'll kind of land in the middle and not be weird. Okay, so we're going to talk about the, the, the second coming of Jesus, the return of Christ. Um, and so the stigma can go one of two ways. Uh, this, the, the, probably the one you're more familiar with is the weirdos, the, the timeline seekers, the, the date planners, you know, basically all the people that got it wrong about setting dates and uh, leading people astray. <laughs> I mean, but but if, you, if you think about the end times, that's probably kind of where your mind goes. Um, there's a bunch of crazy passages, doom and gloom, and there's the devil and the Antichrist. And, but we want to land in the center of it where it's actually all about Jesus. Okay. Well, the, the other side of it is, um, and no knock on any of you that believe this, um, but there is the other side that, hey, we're, uh, we're all going to get raptured before Jesus, uh, before all this bad stuff happens, so we don't really need necessarily to know too much about it. Not that it's bad to know about it, but let's not put any real emphasis on it. And that's been a, um, it's been on the rise and kind of plateaued, um, but at kind of at the end of the, the 19th century into the early 1900s, that became like a really big thing. It's not historically the view of the church, but over the last 120 years or so, it's been a real influence on the church. And I could go into the details of that, but I don't really want to waste our time or your your brain power to do that uh, so anyways let's just remember let's not get crazy and weird this isn't a message about jesus's second coming so that you can go study every chapter about it and become the weird jesus is coming back cult people like let's not do that um, yes read the passages because there's really pertinent information we're going to look specifically at matthew 24 today because this is where jesus talks about his return Okay, so he's like, hey, this is going to happen. You need to know this, okay? And then you can look at all the other, I mean, there's, there's literally over 150 chapters in the Bible that talk about that, that, that more than 50% of that chapter is about the return of Christ. So, I mean, you can, you can go look at all those, but we're not going to do that today. And then uh, before we kick off, I also wanted to give you one phrase that, so I've been kind of looking, kind of like giving attention to this for the last decade or so. Not that I know all of it, but there's a phrase that really stood out to me kind of towards the beginning of really looking into this that really kind of sets into context uh, why there is a lot of negativity surrounding these events, why there is kind of this like, oh, let's not study it. It's going to be weird. It's going to be crazy. And it's because it looks harsh. It looks severe when we start talking about the judgments and the rise of this Antichrist guy that is going to sway the whole world to believe in like what is all this about um, but there's this phrase that I heard that really made sense to me and basically it's saying that this is like so looking at the whole kind of end times timeline and all the events that are going to happen leading up to Jesus's return this phrase is that this is the least severe means that the Lord's going to use to bring the greatest amount of people to the deepest level of love 
without violating our free will. So it's this really, uh, I like this, how succinct it is. It's the least severe means. He, he could have done more and it would have been too much and it would have violated our free will. He could have done less and it wouldn't have been enough. It wouldn't have woken up enough people. It wouldn't have touched the hearts of enough people. Um, so it's the least severe means to get the greatest amount of people to the deepest level of love for Jesus, obviously, without violating our free will. He's very, very adamant about this point. I'm not going to violate your free will to love me. I'm not going to make you do it. He's like, I'm a bridegroom and you're the bride, but I'm not going to make you love me. That's, that's not love, okay? That was all free there. Um, so the purpose, I wanted to give you this, this really clear purpose, like why are we looking at this today? So I put it all in a statement for you. So this, I'll just kind of read it for you. So the purpose for today is to gain a clear view of Jesus' return, which the Bible calls our glorious hope, what those days will look like, and how we should live in response to the abundance of information given to us regarding his second coming. So in essence, the reason, like what does Maranatha really mean? So we're doing the series Maranatha, the victorious return of Christ. But what does it mean when we say Maranatha? Because if we say Maranatha, which like literally means come Lord Jesus or the Lord Jesus has come. When we say that, what do we mean by it? It's not like what's the technical definition, but what do I mean when I say that? Because if I don't really know the context of his return, then all I'm saying is I just want to be with you, which is good and valid. But when you actually know his leadership throughout that storyline, it makes Maranatha mean a whole lot more. Because there's lots of ups and downs in Maranatha. There's a lot of hard times. There's martyrdom and persecution. But there's also glorious power in the church. I mean, it's, it's, it's both and. And then you've got the total opposite side of deception and the rise of darkness and depravity. So when it's the greatest amount of people, the deepest level of love, that's also like the opposite is true because Satan is just doing the opposite of the Lord. He's not, he's not very inventive. He's just doing the opposite. He's going to, instead of having Jesus Christ, he's going to have the Antichrist who's going to just, he's not going to uh, ask for your love. He's going to demand your love. Okay, and so it, it's he's just copying it. So, um, so that's what I want to look at today. Like, really give us context. What do we mean by Maranatha? And we're going to just look at basically we're going to kind of look at a chronology of like what what is the end times storyline? Okay, and uh, we'll it'll, it'll be kind of high level. We won't get too deep. Um, but I wanted to start with a couple of of terms so we don't get lost in terminology later. Okay. So the first two here, first one is historical premillennialism. So don't try to say that 10 times too fast. Um, but basically what I mean by that is kind of what I said earlier. Historical meaning this is what the church has believed since Jesus. And it's kind of changed over the last 100 years, like I was saying. Um, again, there's just been some different interpretations. And then with the like mass publication of multiple different people's uh, points of views as commentaries and stuff. Some of these different ideas have taken place, but historical premillennialism means that the, the church historically has believed that we are living before the thousand years. Millennium is a thousand years. Pre means we're before that. So we're not amillennial, which means there's no millennium, and we're not 
post-millennial, which means the thousand-year reign of Christ has already happened. Okay, does that make sense? So we're we're before that. So when Jesus comes back, he's going to start this 1,000-year reign, which we'll talk about that later. But that's a that's a phrase that makes that that has meaning to it that goes with the second one, which is post-tribulation. And again, if, if you're pre-tribulation, I'm not knocking you. I love you. Your theology and mine may not be exactly the same, but that's okay. But the reason I bring up historical premillennialism and post-tribulation is because that's the framework we're going to use as we're teaching through this series. Okay, that doesn't mean you have to believe it. It doesn't mean you have to adhere to everything we're saying here, but it helps to just give a framework. We believe this is the most biblical, kind of straightforward answer, okay? And, doesn't, and again, doesn't mean that we have all the answers. So post-tribulation means that Jesus comes back after the tribulation. And so if you guys have probably heard somewhat about this time frame called the tribulation, where there's a lot of um, a lot of persecution, martyrdom, antichrist, all that stuff happens. And then there's this very short window called the great tribulation. And then there's a seventh trumpet, Jesus comes back, okay? The pre-tribulation, just all that means is that Jesus comes and he blows the trumpet before that time frame. We all get raptured, and then the bad stuff happens, and then he returns, okay? All we're saying is that the seven trumpets at the end of that time, and then we get gathered up with Jesus, okay? So that's the only difference there, but it makes a big difference on how much emphasis you would put on to knowing and learning this stuff and, and making sure it's like something we live by, okay? Again, no knock on anybody that doesn't uh, take that point of view. So a couple more just to kind of go through here quickly is, one, there's a phrase called the day of the Lord. You'll see that a lot in the in the prophets. Um, and that can refer to two different things. It can refer to the, the literal like 24-hour day of the Lord where Jesus literally comes back. Or it also talks about the, the day of the Lord can also mean the very short like year to seven years before Jesus returns. There's a that, that's considered the day of the Lord in the big sense of there's a lot of stuff happening. Like it's it's a very traumatic time on the earth, and it's the day of the Lord, okay? And it's also called the great and terrible day of the Lord because there's great, amazing things that's going to happen. There's also some very terrible things that are going to happen. Another phrase that goes with that is called Jacob's trouble, Jacob, Israel. And so basically, again, putting a lot of emphasis on, on Israel here, Israel is the center of the storyline. Jesus is the, the king. He's the center, and he's a Jewish man, and he is, you know, he's going to be king from Jerusalem in Israel. So Israel is very central to the storyline. So it's very Middle East, very Israel-centric storyline. So Jacob's trouble, it, it just refers to the whole end times timeline. A couple more here that are that may be a little bit more new to you. Maybe you've heard them. Maybe it's kind of like, I've never even thought about that. There's one uh, called the Harlot Babylon. And the reason I bring this one up is because there's two, the two longest prophecies in the Bible, one in the Old Testament in Jeremiah and one in the New Testament in Revelation. Those two longest prophecies both talk about the Harlot Babylon. So the Harlot Babylon basically in a nutshell is kind of what we already see starting to happen is like this one world religion um, we're all for equality and diversity and you know inclusion and it's all going to lead up to this kind of um, well obviously it's all going to lead towards the antichrist one 
religion centered on him kind of thing. Um, but the Heart of Babylon is like this economic system, this religious system, this one world kind of thing that, again, we kind of see maybe the beginnings of that happening now. Uh, and another one is, I put it with symbolism, but there's like the beast, there's the dragon, there's the woman, there's the this and the that. Um, so there's just some symbolism. And the reason I wanted to point this out is because if if a passage says something, it's like it's talking about the red dragon, and it means this, well, that's symbolism. That's pretty obvious. We kind of know that. But if it doesn't say that, so if it's talking about something that you're kind of like, I don't really understand that, that's probably symbolic, but it doesn't say it's symbolic, then it's not actually symbolic. It's actually real. It's actually something that the Lord's trying to say, this is going to happen. It's going to be kind of so far outside of your current thinking that right now you might think it's like not real. So it's symbolic. Well, it's not true. Okay, so, and, and basically that's just leading, reading the Bible literally. It's like when we, when we go through this passage, is there anything in there that said it's symbolic? No? Okay, well then it's, it's literal. Okay. And then the last one I want to point out is the abomination of desolation. Just kind of hitting all the big ones here. Um, something we don't ever really want to talk about. But you might be thinking abomination of desolation just show of hands, like, if, you, if you're like, I probably could not define that, no shame on you, like, just throw a hand up, or maybe halfway, because you don't want to be seen by too many people. It's okay, most people are kind of raising their hands, it's all right. Um, I mean, it, we're going to look at it a little bit here in Matthew 24, but Jesus even says, when you see the abomination of desolation, go read Daniel, this is what it means. Because he's like, yeah, you probably got, you guys don't know what I'm talking about, Okay. And so basically, let's just let me give it to you in a nutshell. The abomination of desolation is this singular event that causes the great tribulation. So the, the great tribulation is this, the last three and a half years before Jesus returns. It's the event that kicks us off. And it's an abomination in the Jewish temple that causes desolation. And the Antichrist takes an image of himself, he goes into the temple and he and he now says, I am God, worship me. That is the abomination of desolation. And and we'll we'll look at that in a little bit. Not too much more, but just so you know, like when you read it, it's not this hard to understand thing. It's it's literally just the Antichrist doing this abominable act in the Jewish temple, this for the Jewish God, and he says, No, I'm actually God. You, now you have to worship me, okay? So, okay, that was all a mouthful, so I'll take a little breather. All right, so now we're going to get into Matthew 24. There was, I had a lot of different things I wanted to say today, but I was like, man, it's probably too much. Let's just look at it from what Jesus says, because we could go through a bunch of different chapters, and what we're going to do instead is we're just going to look from what Jesus says in Matthew 24. So I'm, I'm kind of just going to give you a few little headlines, and we're just going to read a little bit, and we're going to kind of put that in context, and then we'll read a little bit more, put that in context, okay? So basically, there's there's just so much information about the second coming of Jesus. Like I said earlier, there's over 150 chapters in the Bible that are predominantly about the return of Christ, and we're not going to look at all those, and so we're just going to look at Matthew 24, because I think it's just great to look, like, what did Jesus say about himself returning. So that's really important that we would know that, okay? Um, 
So we're going to kind of get this high-level view with basically high-level overview with some practical insights. How do we actually, like, what is this going to look like? Because I love to, like, look at that. Like, what is, what is that day going to look like? And how is that going to affect, like, will I go to work that day? Like, will I have food on that day? Will we have cell phones on that day? Like, like I don't know. I'm just trying to think through some of that stuff. Like, are we going to be put in jail on that day? going to be killed on that day like what's going to be happening here um so the first one is the signs of the times in the end of the age and basically this would be signs of the times and the birth pains is where jesus starts okay so let's uh let's jump into this and let me start by saying that jesus he really gives us one major warning and that major warning is don't be deceived and you're going to see it multiple times don't be deceived. There's going to be false me's, you know, false Christ everywhere. They're going to be on the rise, but don't be deceived. I've already told you about it. You don't need to be deceived. But you'll be deceived if you're not paying attention. So he says, watch and pray. So you'll see some of these things come out multiple times. Don't be deceived. Watch and pray. Because there's going to be an increase in troubles. There's going to be an increase in shakings. I mean, you could just... You could technically look back just over the last decade. I mean, we just in America, we, you know, what, 2008 was like the financial crisis. Like, I wasn't really paying attention to that, but I know a lot of people were. And then fast forward, we got um, COVID. That was a big deal. That shook a lot of things. There's been natural disasters. There's been, you know, earthquakes in various places, which is literally a sign in, in Matthew 24. But the thing that happens in these increased troubles and shakings is it makes you kind of look introspectively a little bit it makes you also kind of start like questioning like what's going on is is this the end and then it the reason jesus like don't be deceived because your emotions are going to take you places that the bible wouldn't okay you're, you're going to be troubled and shaken you're like oh i need oh is that jesus over there is that false guy that's saying he's jesus is that him because I don't really know enough about what he said, which he makes it very clear later on in the chapter. Like, I'm coming, I'm going to split the sky. It's going to be like lightning. So when they say, oh, he's over here in the inner room, don't be deceived, okay? It's pretty obvious, but, like, when you're in that moment, it's not so obvious, unless you're, like, really clearly grounded in this. So that's really kind of, like, one of the main purposes of this. It's not to try to, you know, try to put dates on stuff and, Try to really get the timeline down. Like, that doesn't matter so much. What matters is being ready, like not being deceived. Okay? So let's let's jump into the word here. So um, Matthew 24, starting in verse 4. So just right before this, uh, the disciples had asked Jesus, tell us when these things will be, because he, he, he had just told them that this temple that we're looking at right now, it's going to be destroyed. Okay? And so the disciples, like, you know, natural question number one, tell us when this is going to happen and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? So then Jesus very pastorally gives them a long, clear answer. Okay? So Matthew 24, hopefully it's kind of clear. So Matthew 24, verse 4. So Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, it will deceive many that should like alert us already number one he says don't be deceived 
But he says, many will come in my name and many will be deceived. That's, that's scary that it could be one of us in this room that like, oh, like five years from now, one of us in this room is deceived and you're no longer part of this fellowship because some false Christ deceived somebody. Like, how painful is that? In verse six, he says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Some translations say birth pains. Okay? So Jesus uses this very clear analogy of birth pains, of leading up to childbirth. Okay? There's it's a very clear um, escalation of pain and uh, a woman's body going through certain things that need to happen to have a baby, you know? But it's, it's very clear. It's not, uh, it doesn't start and stop. It starts and it increases. And so when you start seeing these signs, you know, okay, they're going to start getting worse and closer. So it's it's increasing pain and increasing in, uh, in, in, in time, like shortening the time between those. Okay? And so Jesus uses this analogy saying, hey, there's going to be, there's, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Don't be troubled. There's going to be famines and pestilences. Don't be troubled. There's going to be earthquakes in various places, not just in the normal places. Like, you know, there's the tectonic plates and there's earthquakes along those lines. There's going to be earthquakes in a lot of other places that never had earthquakes, that aren't prepared for earthquakes. Like, just imagine that. Like, cities demolished because they didn't build their buildings based on earthquake codes because they never had an earthquake. They're in the middle of where earthquakes should be, and that's never happened, you know what I mean? So he says, nation will rise against nation, kingdom is kingdom against kingdom. So that's, that's not only um, Israel versus Iran or something. That's also like an ethnic group versus an ethnic group. So it's not just a one nation versus another. That's like people within a nation fighting against each other. And he's, he's saying, not only is it going to happen, you're going to hear rumors of it happening here and there, and it's going to increase. Okay. And then again, at, at the end of verse 80, he just says, That's, this, is, this is the beginning of sorrows. This is the birth pains. This is leading up to something more than this. So this, the more than this is what we call the tribulation. So the, the birth pains, I don't know, it could be 10 years, it could be 40 years, it could be 50 years. There's, there's no, like Jesus doesn't say exactly how long it's going to be. He only says that when you start seeing it, know that the end is soon. And later he says, when you see these signs, that generation won't pass away. So whatever a generation is, you know, 60 years, 80 years, whatever, whatever you define a generation as, Jesus is saying, the generation that sees those signs increasing, they will see me return. So that birth pangs isn't drawn out forever, and it's not drawn out so long that the people that saw them start don't see them end, okay? And then we get into the tribulation, which, um, which Daniel and a couple of other prophets make very clear there's a seven-year tribulation, exactly seven years. And later Jesus says, if it wasn't cut short, 
nobody would make it through it. That's how intense it's going to be at the end. But Jesus makes it clear uh, under tribulation here. Jesus makes it clear that the tribulation is marked by a shift from global shakings. Birth pangs is, is very much global shakings that are in the natural order. They're, it's nations, it's war, it's pestilence, it's, it's famines, it's earthquakes. But Jesus makes a, a clear delineation here in the tribulation. It's actually now global persecution. It's actually now, like, so I mentioned Harlot Babylon. Harlot Babylon rises up in the midst of these, these, um, these birth pains and takes prominence at the beginning of this great tri this tribulation. And now it shifts from the, the earth shaking to now this Antichrist comes into power. We're not going to go into all the details on all this, but he goes into power, and now the, 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 the global pain is that now if you're not part of this one world system thing, if you're a Christian, you're in a lot of trouble. Now, that's from that side of, that's from that point of view, because it's actually like the, the church's greatest day. We're going to walk in the greatest amount of power in the deepest level of love. Like Jesus will be very central and real in those times. Not that he isn't now, but it's going to be very much, you're either all in, you're not in like you, you can't be in the middle at this point because you're literally going to have like you know just kind of the, the the analogy like a gun to your head kind of idea like there's going to be persecution everywhere not just in the middle east not just in some places but everywhere okay so jesus is making this very clear distinction here as we get we'll read this in just a second um, but as we, as we kind of put together all of the different prophets and the, the teachings from uh, Revelation as well. Uh, we see that the, the shakings led a majority of the world to put their trust, including Israel, by the way, to put their trust in this political figure that brings peace and safety to the world. Okay, he makes this deal, basically, and this this deal starts the tribulation. It's He makes this seven-year treaty that, the, that brings safety and peace starting, like, in Israel, like so, basically the temples restored, the, the Jewish sacrificial systems restored, and this guy is kind of like the leading figure in the nations, um, and he, he kind of brokers this deal, so to speak, where there's, there's peace. Okay, and so everybody in the world, I mean, basically, is like finally there's peace because again, birth pains is a lot of increasing pain and trauma. Just imagine COVID plus natural disasters closer together for an extended amount of time. So five years of that, like increasing uh, financial systems and upheaval, everything, there's wars. Just, let's just say this, this Israel Hamas thing continues to get worse. Imagine all of that, plus famine, plus pestilence, plus wars, plus earthquakes, all of that's happening, okay? And then all of a sudden, like, there's, there's this political force that comes up that brings a peace and safety, okay? And of course, we as the church were like, wait, wait, I've read about this. this. This isn't actually peace and safety. This is actually false peace and safety. And that guy is actually empowered by the devil. So imagine that we're saying that, and they're all like, you guys are crazy. This guy just ended 
the most traumatic season that we've ever seen. And you guys are saying this guy is the enemy? You guys should die. Like, you guys, you are the problem. And now we are going to persecute you. Okay, so that's what's happening in the midst of all this. So let's read this. Matthew 24, verse 9. So Jesus says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So that's like really heavy. And again, that just came right after we read that part where it said that's, that's the beginning of sorrows. That's the birth pains. And then he transitions quickly into, and then you're going to be persecuted and killed for me. The nations are going to hate you. Again, because you're saying this guy that brought peace and safety isn't the real deal. Okay? There's going to be, again, he emphasizes again, there's going to be false prophets. There's going to be fake Jesuses again. Now, you wouldn't say that again if it wasn't the same time frame. So we're looking at this next time frame, and he's, he's making it clear, don't be deceived. This will happen. But again, he makes it very clear, many will be deceived. And the ones that are deceived are now going to betray you. They're going to turn you in. And the love of many is going to grow cold. They're actually, they're not only just going to turn away from you, they're going to hate you because you're going to stand for the opposite and again, like the, the thing that they're being deceived into, yeah, part of it is antichrist worship, maybe. Like, I don't know exactly how that looks, but it's really more of like, I just want to do what I want to do, okay? And if I have to like give into this antichrist guy to do this, I'll do it. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Like, <laughs> it is a really big deal. You know, you're, you just want to live for yourself and you want to just like not do this Christian thing anymore. Like, that, that's a big deal, okay? So then we go into, so again, that's this, we're looking at this tribulation time frame as this seven-year time. That's this peace and safety, but it's false peace and safety, okay? And then we're going to look at this, this second half of that seven years, so literally in the middle of that seven years, so three and a half years. And again, you can go back into Daniel, and the prophet Daniel makes it very, I mean, he literally counts out the days, so you can't miss it. it seven years is a certain amount of days, is a certain amount of months, and Daniel breaks it up into months and days just so we don't get confused, okay? So basically, in the middle of that seven-year treaty, the Antichrist is going to suddenly break this deal. He's going he's gonna to go into the temple. He's going to break this deal, and he's going to end the Jewish, Jewish sacrificial system, which just got reinstated, okay, after thousands of years not having it. And he's going to set himself up as God in the temple. Okay, that is the deal breaker when he's like, okay, forget all this Jewish stuff. That was just a trick to get all of you to have peace and safety so I could set up my kingdom here. And now, empowered by the devil, you guys are now going to worship me. That's the deal, okay? If you don't want it, too bad. You have to do it. So that's when you've heard of stuff like the Mark of the Beast. Okay, that's all in the book of Revelation. Okay, so that's what um, is being referred to here. So that basically, we're now looking at this worldwide worship system. And I thought of something interesting yesterday that I'm not sure exactly, like, I can't put a time stamp on this and this, 
But just imagine that this is the devil empowering this guy to take over the nations and have the, the, the nations worship him. And at the same time, maybe, or maybe it's sooner, I don't know, there's a time frame in the book of Revelation, chapters 4 and 5, where Jesus, the Lamb, walks across, maybe it's a sea of glass, I don't know, but there's this area around the throne of the Father. He walks up to the Father, and the Father gives him this scroll. Okay, You guys have heard of this, where there's the, the seals on the scroll that the Lamb he breaks them open. And the idea here is that this scroll is, for better, for lack of better language, this, this is like the title deed to becoming the ruler of the earth. Okay, the father is giving him this, like you're you're now ready to become the king. It's now time for you to open the scroll and to do what needs to be done to go and rule and reign on the earth. Okay, so I don't know exactly when those two things co co collide, co coincide. I don't know what the word is there, but they happen somewhat simultaneously where the Antichrist is empowered to rule for a time and then Jesus is given the scroll and he's going to start I don't know exactly what it looks like but he's breaking open these scrolls. I, you know you've seen those like the wax seal on a scroll that's a seal and there's like seven seals across this scroll and he breaks one open and something happens and he breaks open another one and something happens and he breaks another one and seven times something happens there okay so looking at the, the Great Tribulation, that lasts three and a half years, so we're leading up to Jesus physically returning to the earth, okay? But before that happens, this is when this is when Jesus says, if those days weren't shortened, nobody would make it through this. Okay, it's gonna be that intense. And this is where he's when he's breaking those seals, each one of those is a judgment. And on the seventh seal, there's seven angels that are given seven trumpets. And each one of those trumpets that they blow is another judgment. And each one of them is increasingly worse and increasingly worse. And there's, who knows how much time there is in between those, but there's only three and a half years. So I don't know what the math is on that, but maybe there's only like a month or two in between or something. Maybe some of them are like a day or two and there's a short reprieve. We don't really know. But the point is, is that this is increasing judgment. You can go back and read those. Those are in Revelation 6 through 9 are the, uh, are the seals and the trumpets. And you can look through them and they get worse and worse. But that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's kind of just the backdrop. Now let's look at Matthew 24, starting at verse 15. The, again, this is the beginning of the Great Tribulation. So Jesus says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and he makes sure to tell us, whoever reads this, let him understand. Like, go back to Daniel and make sure you know what we're talking about here. Daniel 9, in case you're wondering. So verse 16, Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let whom is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Okay, pause for a second there. So the abomination of desolation happens, and Jesus says immediately to those that are in that in that area, like 
literally in Judea, which is you know, Jerusalem, Judea. Anybody that's there, run away. Like, as fast as you can. Don't pack up your suitcase. Like, as soon as that day happens, you, you need to be gone, like, within 24 hours, or else you, you are going to, like, I mean, it's like Holocaust kind of thing now. Like, if you are Jewish and you're in that area, you're not going to make it. Like, Jesus literally says, flee, get out of there. And there's other verses that, that talk about the context of the, the Jewish people being forced into the wilderness, and he's going to protect them in the wilderness. So he's not saying go out to the wilderness and die so you don't have to get killed by the Antichrist. He's saying go out to the wilderness. I'm going to protect you there. Like, don't worry. Just trust me. But don't stay in that city. And he says pray that it's not in the winter. You don't want to be running around the winter. And pray that it's not on the Sabbath. Like, so I've been to Israel in the, during, like, in, in Jerusalem on the Sabbath. There's no transportation available on the Sabbath. You, you can't get a taxi. You can't ride a train on the Sabbath. So he's saying, like, pray that it's not on that day, which means, like, we have influence on this. You know, like, it, it can be on a, on a Monday or a Tuesday. Just pray that it's not on the Sabbath day. Like, it could be a different day if you, if you pray about it. Let's pick up in verse 23. So Matthew 24, verse 23. <laughs> he gives us the same warning again. So every time frame, he's given us the same warning. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. And this is where he makes it clear. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Or whatever the, wherever the carcass is there, the eagles will be gathered. That verse is kind of crazy. I'm not going to try to explain that one. But the rest of it is pretty clear. He's just saying, it's, like, you're not going to miss this. You, you don't have to go into an inner chamber to try to find me. I'm not hiding in some room. I'm not in Antioch Church, you know, hiding in here. Like, I'm going to split the sky and literally, physically come rule and reign on the earth. Like, it's really going to happen. And you don't have to try to figure out where I'm at. I'll be sure to tell you. You know, like, so don't follow the false guys that tell you where I'm at because they're, they're false. Okay. So then, so that's the great tribulation. Seventh trumpet happens. Jesus comes back. So here we are in verse 29. I can't remember if I put this one up there or not. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the heavens and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So basically, again, he's making it very clear, you're not going to miss me, okay? I'm going to be in the clouds, in the sky. Every eye is going to see me, and the angels are going to come and pick you up, bring you to me. And so I want to end on Daniel's 30 and 45 days. And this, this part might be a little newer to you. And I think this is actually the most glorious part. This, to me, I love, love this part because Jesus, in other verses, he doesn't give the, the clarity here. So I'm just going to bring it up and kind of 
entice you to go study this a little bit. But Daniel, so again, I told you in Daniel, he, he talks about the, the number of days until that seven years is up. He talks about the number of months. And then somewhere in there, he gives you 30 extra days and 45 extra days. And it's really beautiful because what happens is, like we kind of have it in our mind, there's a trumpet, Jesus comes down, and like suddenly movie magic, the earth is now Jesus's, and the Antichrist somehow just kind of either vanishes or becomes a Christian, like one of those two. And neither one of those is true. He gets thrown into a lake of fire alive, like, so he's not gone, but he's not a Christian either. <laughs> so it's really bad for him. Okay, but Jesus comes back and like literally touches down on the earth, okay? We're all with him, and he's not in Jerusalem yet. And so G uh, Daniel's 35, 30 days that he talks about is actually this procession that Jesus as the, the soon-to-be king makes a procession from Mount Sinai to Jerusalem via Edom. I'm not sure exactly geographically what that looks like. But just imagine the Israelites getting out of, um, getting out of Egypt and walking to Israel. Okay, that's kind of similar to this. Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to take this wilderness route, and he's going to do several things. So we talked about the seals and the trumpets. Those are uh, 14 judgments. There's actually seven more tr the judgments that happen called the bowl judgments. And those happen in this 30 days. And they are completely and solely against the Antichrist, against anybody that at this point has said, I'm going to worship that guy. Okay? So again, we're all now with Jesus. We're all following him. And now these really terrible judgments against the Antichrist are happening. And Jesus is walking like this ceremonial military march to Jerusalem. And he's also liberating Jewish captives that have been put in, just imagine like Holocaust kind of situations. They've been put in prison camps on this route. And Jesus is literally going there, liberating this one, liberating that one, and taking out his enemies that are surrounding these camps, okay? This is just like Jesus the King. It's beautiful in one sense because Jesus comes back. It's, it's terrifying in another because there's blood on his garments. That specifically says that in Isaiah 63 and other places. It's the passion and the the the. the pure passion he has for his bride that he's going to come back and again it's the least severe it could have been more severe but it's not but now that he's releasing these seven final judgments as he's walking up to Jerusalem he's going to go into Jerusalem and be like coronated king okay like as a king should be you know he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey the first time this time he's riding on a white horse not only with us, but with angels coming in, like just, I think putting your mind there, like that is a beautiful picture of what Jesus wants to do. And he's waiting to do this. Isaiah 49 talks about Jesus, Jesus waiting to do this. He's been sitting and he's biding his time, waiting for that Maranatha cry to, to rise to the full point where he can take that scroll, open it and finally comes back. He's going to, it says in Isaiah 48, he's going to stand up and shout with a great shout. 
and he's going to come back. And then the, the, the last beautiful part of this picture is, is Daniel's 45 days. So there's another set of days here. And the specific part of those days is Jesus being coronated king, like, a, like days of celebration of Jesus being set as king. And then there's the wedding supper of the Lamb. We, we, that's us. We get that moment of this. I mean, just, just imagine like the most elaborate wedding you've ever been to times a thousand, you know, or maybe you've never been to an elaborate one. Just imagine the most elaborate, like, um, like kingly kind of wedding. Like not just a couple hundred people there, but millions of people are there. The feast that, that is provided by angels kind of thing. Like it's the best, okay? So that's what we're looking at here. Um, so, and then after that, there's the the, the thousand year reign we, we kind of touched on earlier. And I was gonna end there just because I don't want to like try to do too much. My again, my goal was to like just get us thinking. Like this is a real time. It's it's for a real man who's gonna become king of the earth. And that's that's our king. We we get to know him now and know him fully. Then but we get to. I think as we see some of this, we're like, oh my gosh. Like, that's who I'm praying to? Like, oh, that's who I'm reading about? It just, to me, it just makes it more real and more clear and more exciting. So I just wanted to end with, like, what do we do with this? I just put a couple points on here. First of all, don't be deceived. That's Jesus' main point. Don't be deceived. Know the storyline. You don't have to know all the details. You don't have to be able to get up here and try to explain everything. But knowing the storyline is very helpful to not be deceived, okay? But also to have Jesus in that main place. Like this isn't about, this isn't mostly about judgments, doom and gloom. This is actually about Jesus and the things he has to do in righteousness to truly be able to come back as king. Because he can't just have a movie magic moment where he steps in as king. That's not real. That's not reality. That's not, um, that's not free will, you know, kind of reality. And again, he's very adamant. I'm not going to break free will to do this. And then Jesus, again, he says it, watch and pray and be ready. If you, if you go on to the rest of Matthew 24 and then into 25, Jesus kind of ends his chronology and goes into pastoral mode. This is what you should do. He says, don't be deceived. He says, these are the things you should talk about amongst yourselves. This is how you should do this. And then he talks about in Matthew 25, like being the, the five wise virgins that have oil stored up. And don't be the ones that don't. Okay? So that's very pastoral and it's all connected to this message. So anyways, what we're going to do is we're going to end with a time uh, where you can come up and get prayer. So that a prayer leaders, uh, life group leaders, anybody that wants to, to, that's empowered to be a prayer leader, you can come on up here. And what we're going to do is just have a time of prayer. Make maybe like some of this is new and he's like man I just want clarity on this I just want to have eyes to see this just come up and ask for prayer or maybe just ask maybe just get, get in, a, in a group with somebody like two or three people just like pray about this like Lord I want to see you rightly like we sang about early earlier the Jesus with with eyes of fire that are burning the Jesus that's going to come back and march into Jerusalem as king if you need if you want prayer or clarity if you want just increased hunger for that or if you're like man i don't want to be deceived 
take the easy way out here. I don't want to be deceived, which should be all of us. Get prayer for that, because it's very easy to be deceived. It's very easy to kind of just coast through and start being slowly deceived. It's not hard to not be deceived either. Spend time in the Word. Just just build history with the Lord in these in these passages. Like if you just take Matthew 24 and just start reading and dialoguing with the Lord about it, that's a very easy way to not be deceived, okay? So again, we're going to go into worship here, but I just encourage you, um, get prayer. Like everybody in the room should get prayer. You should not not get prayer. Uh, but you can come up here or you can just pray with somebody around you. So I just encourage you guys, everybody, if we get to stand up so it's not awkward for people to want to walk around and get prayer, um, go ahead and, and stand up and we're going to go into this song as we end today. Thank you.